Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kevin Friesen, and I'm a member here at Cross Point, and have the privilege of preaching God's Word this morning. So I want to do a little exercise with you this morning. I want you to picture that you have a stack of business cards. It could be in your hand, it could be in your pocket, it could be in your purse. All right, so everybody got this? You got a stack of business cards, and then picture that all of us in this room are at a function together. And some of you have done this, right? You got a stack of business cards, you're milling around at these functions, and you're visiting with one another, and you're passing out your cards, right, and getting to know one another. And picture this, that as you do that and you start looking at those cards, you realize something very odd, and that is that everybody in the room has the same title next to their name. That'd be weird, right? Because if you think about it, in a room this size, there's a lot of things that are different, right? Different occupations, different backgrounds, different color of hair, different color of team that you cheer for in Bedlam last time, right? Okay, all kinds of differences, but that'd be weird to have the same title. And actually, the differences are much greater than just those surface things that I just said. Today, we're going to learn about a difference that is very great between those of us in the room. But there is also something that we all are. And this is actually shocking to hear, all right? This is something that is, will set you back. There is one thing that, that we all are, and that is we all have the title of slave. So whether you're a Christian here today or you're a non-Christian, you came today as a slave to someone or to something. And our passage, our text today, actually brings out for us, there are, that there are two options for that enslavement. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. Believer, Christians that are here today, do you really believe that you are right now, this instant, free from the rule, power, and love of sin in your life? And non-Christian, we're really glad that you're here today. Here's a question for you. I ask you, friend, do you understand that there is a freedom that you are living in right now that doesn't lead to what you think it does? Well, as you ponder these questions, we come to our passage. And Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, outlines for us the characteristics of two enslavements. And he helps us to see that these, these each have a much different end. So verse 20, chapter 6, verse 20 is where we are today. And Verse 20 is, actually starts with the word for, and I'm going to do a little introduction on this that takes us back to see where Paul has been in the book of Romans. All right, so a brief introduction. The main theme as we look back in the book of Romans is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This gospel, as he writes in the first chapter, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In reading Romans, we encounter God's grace to us which brings about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. We see that in chapter 1. The book shows us that the righteousness that Jesus established by his life, death, and resurrection comes to the center. So we see Paul outlining chapters 1 through 5, uh, the doctrines of sin and judgment. And these are to establish for us our sinful nature and our abject need for Christ as our Savior. In chapter 5, verse 6, it says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So God did this to save us, to save us to himself. And this one act of, right, uh, this one act of righteousness by Christ 
results in justification and life for all who believe. So sinners at that time are actually made righteous. Well, then in chapter 6, Paul writes that the gospel message, hear this, not only makes us right in his eyes, but also changes the way we live. So this brings us to verse 19. So if you look with me, verse 19, chapter 6, it's not actually in our text today, but this, this specifically the last part of it is the reason why Paul uses the word for in verse 20. So take a look at the text. Verse 19 says at the end, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. So this command in verse 19 is actually similar to what Paul has already stated in verse 13 of this same chapter where he said, present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Paul is saying that Christians should serve righteousness with the same single-mindedness that characterized their service of sin before they were Christians. The same single-mindedness. In other words, serving God as your master rather than sin such as, uh, sin such as self and money, lust, pleasure, and power, all of these things that are actually idols. These were your idols before you were a Christian. But know this, that this verse, 19b, does not just stand in isolation. Paul is saying, believer, that you can and you must serve righteousness. So brothers and sisters, I ask you, are you pursuing holiness now in the same way that you pursued sin before God saved you? This is the question. This is the question before us today. In fact, this is the commandment before us. And so this brings us to the outline in your bulletin. I have three points, a false freedom, a new master, and a gospel ending. So look with me at our first point, a false freedom, verses 20 to 21. Paul's exhortation in 19b sets the table for what is to come in our passage. You can obey this commandment in 19b because you recognize who you were before Christ. So look at verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So here in verse 20, Paul takes you, believer, back to the when of your pre-Christian life. And for you here that are with us this morning who aren't believers, well, this passage should be familiar because this is actually where you are today. This is your current position. So look, at me with, this, look with me at this first phrase. Consider what it looked like before you were redeemed. It says, for when you were slaves of sin. One of the clearest ways we can define our text content this morning is this. It is about your relationship to sin. Keep in mind that this is the natural state of all of us. This word when that we see here looks back in time in the past for believers. But it all looks at what we all came into this world as, and that is slaves. Slaves to sin. I don't know about you, but for me, you look at this, the word slaves does jump off the page, doesn't it? Right? What is this about? Well, it's important to understand that in the context of Paul's writing, in the Greco-Roman culture, slavery was very common. It would have been easily understood by Paul's audience. In fact, there were a variety of slaves. There were domestic slaves. There were public service uh, slaves. There were agricultural slaves. There were even prisoners of war uh, slaves. But it's important to note that slavery in that culture was not based on race 
or ethnicity. Anyone could become a slave. In fact, there was no partiality. And if you were a slave, you actually gave up all of your rights. Well, in our passage today, we see a comparison of two types of slaves. Two types of slaves. So who who enslaves a person before salvation in Christ? Well, it is none other, we see here, than the old master, sin. For when you were slaves of sin, it says. So in the Bible, we see sin introduced into the world in Genesis 3 through Adam's rebellion. His sin brings about a separation from God that causes all humans to be in sin. We then find sin being defined throughout all of Scripture in many ways, including a rebellion against God, um, an incurable disease. We see that sin is hated by God. It is overpowering, and it ultimately sends the soul to hell. So it's important that we have a proper view of what sin is as we approach our text today. So look at what comes next. Verse 20, look at what comes next. You were free in regard to righteousness. Many times non-Christians pride themselves on having a freedom that Christians don't have. You know, a freedom to do whatever you want outside of rules and religion. I mean, who needs that, right? True freedom is found outside of all of that. But Paul actually crushes that thinking with just these seven words. You were free in regard to righteousness. I mean, take a look there. There is a freedom, right? There is a freedom, but it is in regard to only one thing, and that is to righteousness. So this means that when you were a slave to sin, you were not a slave to righteousness. It is a false freedom. Friends, it is critical it is critical to understand right now that you are a slave to one master or the other. You're either a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. You can't be slaves of two masters at the same time. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So all people are either slaves, all people are either one slave or the other. The person who is free from righteousness is not under the power of righteousness in any way at all. So this is a universal statement of truth that would apply to all people before they come to Christ. Every person. As Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the non-Christian is in no relationship at all to righteousness. Romans 10.3 describes this person this way, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So is this not the way of the world, right? Everyone living for their own righteousness, setting up their own truth, living their own life, right? We see this everywhere. Actually, the word free here means that there is no jurisdiction. I think that's helpful. There is no jurisdiction. So righteousness and holiness have no control, no power, and absolutely no jurisdiction or influence on a non-Christian's life. Paul does say in Romans a little bit earlier, Romans chapter 1, that those outside Christ in varying degrees can recognize right and wrong. Okay, we know this, but the power, hear this, the power to do the right and, the, and to turn from the wrong is actually something they are incapable of doing. All are under sin and therefore incapable of doing God's will. This is a false freedom because there is no freedom at all when you are a slave to sin, right? There's no freedom. Friend, is this you? 
You might be here today and have your own morality, things that you do that you look at and you say, yeah, that's, that's better than the norm. I'm okay. I'm fine. Things that maybe you do that are right in your own eyes. If so, you have willingly placed yourself outside of the jurisdiction of God's righteousness. It doesn't matter how good, ethical, or nice you are. In fact, even moral and religious people are free from righteousness if they, if they are not uh, saved by Christ and his atoning work on the cross. So free from righteousness means that your highest achievements are of no value whatsoever in the sight of God. You are actually outside the life of God. What a terrifying thought to be outside the life of God and his righteousness. So I ask you, non-Christian, come to Christ. Lay down all of your works to his, for his righteous work on your behalf. Well, look at our verse, uh, look at our text in verse 21 as it continues. It says, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The word fruit here is an interesting one, and your translation may use a different word, such as benefit or return or results. The idea is that there is something here that is being produced. So when I was a kid, uh, we had an orchard. It was a small orchard. It wasn't anything great or big, but we did have a large variety of trees, and we maybe had a dozen or so trees. We had all kinds of different varieties. We had pear, we had peach, we had apricot, uh, we had cherry, and we had my favorite, apple, right? So we had all these trees, and my brother Kurt and I um, were employed (laughs) by my parents to help with these things that would happen, which was the fruit would start to grow. We would see these buds right on the tree, and then the fruit would start to mature, and pretty soon you would have this glorious fruit that was ripe and ready coming off of the tree. And so my brother and I would take buckets, and we would go out there, and and we would gather the fruit, and we would take it in so that my mom uh, then could uh, process it. And the end result from that was all kinds of things. We had applesauce. We had cherry pie. We had all kinds of canned goods, right? These really benefited our family, and the fruit was delicious and satisfying. But also, I remember back, and there were some of the trees out there that actually died. And before that happened, you know, there were things like worms that would show up on the tree, right? I mean, you could look at the tree and go, oh, no, that's not good. And you could look at the trunk, and it's, you could see this rot that would start in the trunk. And eventually, what, guess what happened? Well, some of those worms would get into the fruit, and that fruit would fall off of the tree. And it was, it was rotten. It was no good. And I'll never forget the smell of that fruit. It was awful. The end result is that fruit was not fit for anything. It was, there was no good that could come of that fruit. It was only good to be thrown away. There was no result, no benefit, and no return. Jesus speaks for us in a way that will be helpful with this, I think. So I'd ask for you, if you'd like, you can turn back in your Bibles to Luke, Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at six, Luke 6, 43 to 45, just a few chapters back from where we are. Luke 6, 43 to 45. Jesus is speaking, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. 
and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So Christ here uses a picture of two different trees to help us see how we as humans function. Take one of those trees from our orchard, okay? So let's look at the pear tree that I was talking about from the orchard. That pear tree has got pear roots, it's got a pear trunk, it's got pear branches, and it's got pear leaves, right? So what should come from that tree? Well, fruit, and a specific type of fruit, pears, right? There's a direct connection between the root of the tree and its fruit. The particular tree that Jesus is talking about in this Luke passage is our words, Paul David Tripp does a lot of fantastic teaching on this, and he calls our words here, our heart overflowing. Jesus says in Matthew 15, this is great, it is not what comes into the mouth that defiles a person. Okay, hear this. It is not what is inside the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. So it is sin inside that defiles. A tree produces fruit, and our hearts produce thoughts and desires followed by behavior. In the same way that we can recognize a tree for the fruit it produces, the Bible says that people are also known by their own fruit. It is a reflection of your heart. So look now at the words, at that time. At that time. This phrase matches the when in verse 20. So we could rephrase this. Again, we're looking in the past for believers or in the present for non-believers. We could rephrase this to say, what results did you have at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? So think back to that time, believer, before you were saved. What were the results of your life then? What fruit did you produce? The answer is nothing of worth. It was all rotten. It was all worthless. All of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, it says in Isaiah 64. All of those things in the past are shameful compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, our Lord. But I want you to see also that the the result of this enslavement, this first enslavement that we're talking about here, is actually actually worse. There's an end to it. You're thinking, man, can it get worse? Well, yes, it can, actually. There is an end to it. It says what? For the end of these things, for the end of those things is death. Death is the fruit that comes from the sin that entered Adam's heart and the heart of everyone who came after him. Sin always leads to death. The death spoken of here is separation. It is a first a spiritual separation from God, meaning being dead to your sins. And second, it's a physical death. So being subject to physically dying and thus being separated from life on earth. And thirdly, it's an eternal death, being eternally separated from God and eternal torment in hell. Revelation 20 says this, Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what what was written in the books. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Man was not originally meant to die, but death is the end result for those who are slaves to the first master sin. Friend, when it comes to the gospel, there has to be bad news before there is good news. And what we have just seen in our text is the bad news. The end of a life enslaved to sin ends in death. Sinners don't need a good example. They don't need a life coach. What sinners need is a savior. And this is what brings us to our second point in our outline, a new master, a new master. 
So look at verse 22. It says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. But now, what wonderful words these are, these two words. They are the dividing point between the then and the now in our passage. They signal a 180-degree turn. A profound change has taken place, and it's nothing less than the gospel that we hear in these two words. But now says that what you were, a slave to sin, you are no more. But now is the good news of salvation. As it says in Romans 3, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. But now is something that no one else except a Christian can say. Your old position, what you were, was fruitless, shameless, and as we just saw, led to death. Those were Paul's negative reasons for following the commandment to live a righteous life that we were looking at in verse 19. But now Paul goes on to his positive reasons. So notice in verse 22 that it says, but now that you have been set free from sin. Here's the truth. When you are set free from sin, you are free. This is different from the false freedom of those who are slaves to sin. There is no gray area between not being a Christian and being one. It is black and white. It is a complete contrast. Note that it says, you have been set free. This is something that has been done to us. It has happened in the past, believer. Look at Romans, uh, just a few verses ahead of where we are. Chapter 6, verse 6. Paul's argument here is so helpful, so... We read this, chapter 6, verse 6 through 11 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We don't decide to change. We have been set free. It's in past tense. We see here in these these verses that we just read that Christ actually died once. And if our Lord died once to sin, Christian, you should also consider yourself dead to sin once. If you have repented of your sins and trusted in the saving work of Christ, then he has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son. We cannot free ourselves. It is God alone who regenerates us. He does it to us. This is good news. Listen to what Jesus says in John 8. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And then he continues, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Dear brother and sister, if you have been counted among those who have been redeemed, you are no longer a prisoner of sin. And you are no longer under the power of sin. You are free indeed because the Son of God himself has broken those chains He did this so that you would also no longer be under the practice of sin. And this is what our text is saying. 
living up to the actual righteous standing that you have now. So look now at the first part of the, the second part of the first phrase there in verse 22. But now, and then it continues, you have, been, you have become slaves of God. So we see here the word slaves a second time, but this time it is a complete contrast. It is the complete opposite. You have been changed from being a slave to sin to being a slave to God. And this new freedom brings with it a requirement. There is a requirement for absolute obedience to our new master. So it might be helpful for us here to look back to the Old Testament. Okay, so think back uh, to Exodus when we see God's chosen people enslaved. Right? They're enslaved in in Egypt. Uh, They're in bondage. They're suffering greatly. God sends Moses to be his Uh, to the king of the land, Pharaoh, to intercede and to call this ruler to release the slaves. And it's at this point in Exodus 10.3 that we read God's words to that king. This is what he says. This is what God says. Let my people go that they may serve me. Notice that there are two masters here, Pharaoh and the one true God. God is calling the people to be freed so that they may then serve him. Notice that the use of the word serve here, a servant is one who is under the authority of a master. So nobody is ever freed from bondage to do what they want. No one is ever freed from bondage to do what they want. You have been freed from slavery to sin, not to do what you want, but to do what he wants, to serve him. Before Christ, your mind and your heart regarded all sinful desires and activities above God. But now your mind and heart have been completely renewed, and thus a growing desire to regard God is more important than all sinful desires and activities. You have a new desire to serve him. This is the key to holiness and sanctification in your life. What you need to understand, Christian, is that at your root, you now belong to a new master. Baseball legend Yogi Berra had a lot of great quotes. My favorite is this. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. Yeah, it's a good one. You like that? Well, listen, that is not, that is not, as a Christian, what it means to stand. Uh, Being a Christian is not standing neutral before the fork in the road. You can visualize that. It's not standing neutral in the fork in the road and choosing by your own self-will which slave you will choose, which master you will choose. That is not the way that anyone in this room was saved, by choosing that master. No, the way you were saved was that a perfect king king came and broke the power of sin, Christian. He bound Satan, your old slave master, and he freed you forever to himself. You are to do his will and not your own. This is so important to your life, believer. And I want you to listen to this, whether you are a young person or a teenager or a young pilot, if you are a young married couple, if you are middle-aged, or if you are older. Listen to this. Once you understand this truth in your life, your new position in Christ, believer, you can then make war against your sin. So this takes us to the last part of verse 22. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So see here that just like there is a result that comes from those who are enslaved to sin, Remember, it was that nasty fruit that we talked about. There is also a result here because of your new master. It's a fruit that you get. Or another way to say it, it is a fruit that you have. 
And this fruit is a result of your changed condition. Remember, it is the nature of the tree that determines the fruit. So once you have been, trans- or you have been transferred to being in Christ, the fruit you have demonstrates your new master's rule in your life. God has changed you from the inside, and it is now the flow to the outside. Your new master has remade you to bear the fruit of holiness. So Paul is taking us, if you look at this, in a progression in our text. He's taking us from being set free from sin to becoming slaves to God, to, being, to having fruit, to then now being sanctified, okay? To being sanctified, sanctification. Sanctification is one of those doctrinal terms that we hear in the church all the time, and we don't have time this morning to really dive into it, but it's very critical to understand. And so in its simplest terms, uh, becoming sanctified means it's the process of becoming holy. Sanctification to every Christian is the outward evidence that your faith is real. A few things to keep in mind. The initial step in your sanctification believer was the definite break from the ruling power of sin. This is when it started, the definite break. So when God saved you, the process of sanctification began. But now you must move next to freedom from the presence of sin. Because you are under a new master, you have new power in Christ to overcome acts and patterns of sinful behavior in your life. Remember that sin is no longer our master. And because of that, there are some major ramifications of that. The first one of that is that we will never in this lifetime be able to say, I am completely free from sin. Because our sanctification will never be fully completed until we are in the presence of God himself. But on the other hand, we are never to allow sin to have dominion over us, to give in to sin. That is to deny the truth of Scripture. Think back to our command in verse 19b that we looked at. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. So as sin leads to sin, holiness leads to holiness. This is the outworking of the new nature to our new master. So, for those of you that have grown up in the church, this might be a good time to ask some questions. I want you to think about these things. Are you free from the power and rule and love of sin in your life? Do you truly believe and understand that because you have a new master, you don't have to sin? don't have to sin. Are you becoming more and more aware of the weight of sin that remains in your heart? And keep in mind here that that conviction of sin is actually part of sanctification. So if you're being convicted more and more of sin, that is good. That is good. That is encouraging. So look now at the last part of verse 22. It says, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So we'll talk shortly about this end that it mentions here because it's actually a contrast to the first end that we see in verse 21. But as it relates to our sanctification, Christ is ultimately our sanctification. We will ultimately and are ultimately complete in him. First Peter says that you are obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We are progressing. We are being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. He frees us so that we might become more and more like him. So think back to that pear tree. Let's go back. Let's go back to that pear tree. You think of that tree. Remember how I said that it was a pear tree through and through? Roots, trunk, branches, and leaves. That it would produce fruit because of that? Well, 
the rest of the story is that we now live on that property where I grew up, and out of all of those, all of those trees that were there, there is only one tree that still remains. It's the pear tree. It's the only one. And if you come to our house and you look over there where the orchard used to be, you'll see the tree maybe. It's really small. It's really uh, it's not much to look at. I mean, it has been through a lot. It, is, it has weathered the storms. The, the north wind has been beating on it probably today too, right? The trunk and the, and the branches, you know, they just don't look like much. But you know what? That tree is still bearing fruit. In fact, this year we went and we picked the most beautiful pear that we have ever picked, I think, from that tree. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. It was a reflection of the pearness going on inside of that tree. The fruit you have, believer, is holiness. It is a fact. We are all becoming holier and holier, and it is the fruit of righteousness that comes only through Jesus Christ. It is to his praise and glory. It is to our new master's praise and glory. So this brings me to our third point this morning, the gospel ending, a gospel ending. Romans 3.23, if I took a survey and asked you to raise your hands, which I won't do, but if I did, I bet you there are a lot of people in here that would say, yeah, I've memorized that verse, right? I've memorized that verse. And you know, Romans 3.23 is packed with gospel truth in a small little verse. And in fact, there's enough here that probably there's enough for a whole standalone sermon. So get ready. No, just kidding. Really though, let's look at the passage, okay? Look at Romans 3.23. Look at the beauty of this verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So once again, the word for here is a conjunction that ties these texts together. Paul is actually summarizing his entire argument in the, in the book of, of Romans 6. He's summarizing his entire argument, and indeed much of what he's written prior to that in the book of Romans. He's also providing a summary of the argument he started in verse 20, which are the reasons to heed the exhortation of verse 19. If you followed that, right? So we have the exhortation of verse 19, then the reasons for that in 20 through 22, and now we have a summary of that argument by Paul. In fact, we will see that he emphasizes the end that we looked at in verses 20 to 22. He emphasizes that end. As we look at this verse, even a quick reading, I think it's obvious for us all we can look at that and say, yeah, there's some contrasts here, right? In fact, there are three contrasts, and so let's look at those this morning. The first contrast we see is that we serve either the master of sin or God. As our text today has taught us, there is no middle ground in the spiritual realm. We serve either sin or our new master God. It's one or the other. There are only two possibilities. The one question in the Bible presses on to us now is this. To whom do you serve? Is it sin or is it God? This is the essence of the gospel. The second contrast that we see is that in serving one of those masters, we end up with very different results. Those results are either wages earned or a free gift received. Those slaves that we talked about earlier that were under Roman rule, well, they might actually receive some rations or wages uh, for the work that they were doing. And those wages were something earned or deserved. And we see that this is exactly the case of those who are serving their master's sin. Paul says in chapter 5, verse 4, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. 
It is just compensation for services earned. Friend, you earn the payment of death. This is just and fair compensation for your sin. As one preacher said, justice is obligated to pay it, or it would be defrauding the worker of his wages. God is just, and the worker, therefore, earns his wages. But on the other side, eternal life is not earned. Indeed, you can't earn eternal life. It is literally a free gift. Ephesians, in Ephesians we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So how do we obtain this gift? Well, God gives us that which we don't deserve by changing our hearts, and then in repentance and belief, we trust in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no other name by which you can be saved. There is no other name. What a glorious truth. Salvation is a call to turn from sin and to holiness. This is what it means to be a Christian. And finally, the third contrast that Paul writes for us is that the two slaveries that we, hear, we see here in our text, the two slaveries lead to different ends. It's either death or eternal life. And these two ends are the ones that we've just looked at in our passage. The first one, first end is death, and the second, eternal life. The wages of sin is death. It's the final and irreversible separation of, from God for every life apart from Christ. To be eternally outside of him would be a constant misery. This is the end for those who are slaves of sin. But what is the end if you are a slave of God? Eternal life. And what is that? Well, listen to John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We see here that eternal life is knowing God and his son, Jesus Christ. Death is to not know him, but life is to know him. This is the end spoken of in our passage It means we will be living both spiritually but also physically at the time of our glorification. This is the ultimate end, a new resurrection into a life eternal in the presence of God and the Lamb forever. So I ask you, consider these two ends and of them, which one is yours? Which one? So now, Paul has finished his three contrasts. But in conclusion this morning, as you can see in our text, Paul is not finished with the verse. He ends with why this gospel of salvation is possible. He says, in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in Christ. Christ is the one who lived a perfectly obedient life. Christ is the one who died a substitutionary death for us. Christ is the one who was raised to defeat that very same enemy of death, so that we might be made right before God. Christ is the one who freed us from that old master's sin. Christ is the one who works to make us complete in him. We who have been joined in him are therefore now dead to sin. It has no power over us. We are instead now alive to God in Christ. So think back. Think back to those business cards, a stack of cards that you have. If you pulled yours out right now, you would find that your title says slave. It does say slave. If you are in Christ, believer, this speaks to the truth that you are a servant to your new master. Your title says slave, but praise God, you are no longer enslaved by the old boss. Sin 
You are a new creation because of God's grace alone. It is all his infinite kindness and his exceeding grace. It is God's love shown for you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So seeing this, we must therefore gladly obey our Lord at his, as his servants of righteousness in pursuing holiness to the praise of our glorious God. Would you pray with me?